0: Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at, Let's talk Torah at gmail.com, and of course I will answer as many as I can. Um, for those listening out there, um, and everything is timely, of course, um, the school I represent, Yeshivas Dachai Torah, um, is having its annual raffle. We're actually in our matching uh, um, Every Dollar is Matched. And if you go to my webpage on the site, um, there's a donate button there somewhere and you hit that donate button, it'll bring you up um, the raffle and all the prizes. You got a couple days left to uh, buy some raffle tickets for a very, very worthy cause. Or you could just go to ydtraffle.com and again, it'll come up right there and that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, if you've been outside recently, you'll know the weather is just crazy. I walked in today without a coat, and I'm a coat person. I get cold, and here we are deep in January, and I was able to not wear a coat. This is not my kind of winter weather. I live in Michigan. My son lives in Florida. He needs heat. I need some nice snowy weather on the grass, not the streets. We want to drive safe. But at least on the grass, take the kids out by recess, play in the snow, build snowmen, go sledding, get ready for my trip up north. Uh, we're going up north, but but I don't think we're going snowmobiling. I don't think they have snow, which is really terrible. First of all, because we love snowmobiling. And it really hurts the economy uh, up in northern Michigan when they can't really go snowmobiling. So that's, uh, that's a sad thing. But in any case... Um, with this week's Torah portion upon us, it is really time to talk Passover, even though Passover is not for another uh, uh, two and a half months. So don't tell my wife. These, the, the wives get a little nervous when they got to start cleaning for Passover and cooking because the husbands get to show up and just run the show and we don't do the cooking and cleaning. I know. She told me this morning. In any case, one um, of the, um, uh, what's the right word to use? I guess a focal point of the Seder is the number four, that magic number four. Four cups and four suns and four questions and a couple other fours come up. Uh, But it all comes because of this week's Torah portion. the end of last week's Torah portion, Moses had come to Pharaoh and he had told, told Pharaoh it's time to let the Jews go. And maybe we'll just talk about that for a second. It seems to be a silly question, right? In other words, who in their right mind, which king, leader in their right mind, because somebody comes in and says, okay, God said, let the Jewish people go. Who exactly is going to let millions of slaves go free? That is like the most ridiculous thing ever. Certainly in those days, you know, with nothing behind it, with no uh, groundswell that it's a horrible thing to have slaves, no one in their right mind would let millions of slaves go free because somebody comes in and says, you know, you should let the Jews go free because God said so. Like, why? It's very interesting. So we know because the plagues start in this week's Torah portion. Blood and frogs and bugs. All you know, We had some stuff in school with that today. You know, the kids, they, they love this stuff. So, But the plagues were a punishment to Pharaoh for enslaving the Jewish people. But really, Pharaoh has a very good claim. He says, come on, God, you told Abraham that the Jewish people would be a land that's not theirs and they'd be slaves for 400 years. And I raised my hand and said, God, no problem. I'll do it for you. I'll let Egypt be the place where the Jewish people will come and they'll be slaves. No problem. You can't punish me when when you ask someone to to enslave the Jewish people, so I did the job for you, and now they do the job. You punish me. How could you do that? Seems to be unfair, and Pharaoh would seemingly have a very good claim. So that's what was taken care of in last week's Torah portion. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, look, Pharaoh, if you're going to claim that you're just doing God's work, So God said, "Um, you're done, and it's time to let the Jewish people go. So if the only reason Pharaoh was being such a good guy to help God out by enslaving the Jewish people, so Moses comes and says, okay, Pharaoh, you know, the job's over. Let him go. And if Pharaoh would have let us go, that would be, for the most part, the end of the story. No plagues. What would he need plagues for? To let us go. Once Pharaoh says... I don't even know who God is, which is what happened in last week's Torah portion. So um, that's it. You don't know God. Obviously, you didn't enslave the Jewish people because God said so. You obviously did it because you want to and you like the idea of having millions of uh, slaves. So great. Now that you're not going to let them go, the punishments will begin. That leads into this week's Torah portion. The problem was that the pharaoh said, how are all these slaves, where do they have time to even think about going free? To even think that God wants them out of my country. Must be they're lazy and they're not working hard enough. I will help them. So he gives a decree, no more straw, they got to get the straw themselves and the same amount of bricks, all that good stuff. So interesting enough, Moses complains to God. God. And Moses says, God, come on. You sent me down here to take him out. And instead of something good happening, life got much worse. How could you do that? So God tells Moses, and that's where we walk into this week's Torah portion. God tells Moses, you know, the, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I made a lot of promises to them. And things didn't go so easy for them. But they didn't question me every time something didn't go the way they wanted it. And you, first... Problem, you got questions. And there's a punishment involved, which we're not getting into now. So then God says, okay, here is the deal. And he tells Moses the new message for the Jewish people. And the new message has these five famous phrases. Really four. It's the four phrases of redemption. There's a fifth one, which is debatable. What are they? So in Hebrew, it's which means I will take them out. Vitzalte I will save them. V'go'alti, I will redeem them. V'ilkate, will take them. Now let's back up and make them clear. First, I'm going to take you out. V'itzasi, Eschem, I'm going to take you out from under the servitude of the Egyptians. Sounds like, by the way, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. The second one is, V'itzalti, I will save you from the hard work. We'll get back to this. Third one is, I will redeem you. Okay, that's easy. And I will take you as a nation. So let's take it slow. First things first, so when did these fourth phrases take place? Same time, not the same time, around the same time. What happened? So the rabbis explained, I will take you out. does not mean out of Egypt. I will take you out is just from under the slavery. I'll take you out from under the hard work. The hard work has to stop. When did that take place? So there's different answers, but they're all pretty similar. Um, Once the third plague hits, there's no more hard work. Why? The third plague was the lice, that all the dust, all the dirt turned into bugs, which is pretty horrible if you don't like bugs. I know in my house, they call me whenever they see centipedes and... We discuss, I, th- I say spiders are good, they don't like spiders. Okay, fine. So that this plague of either lice or bugs, it, it, the dirt turned into bugs. So as I told my class today, when you make bricks, you need like a few ingredients. You need water, you need dirt to make a, a mud, and then you need the straw as a binder to make your brick salad. You cannot make bricks out of water and bugs. It doesn't make mud. You need mud. No mud, no dirt, no bricks. No bricks, no hard work. Hard work, over. That's the first language of Vaitseisi, I will take you out, meaning I will take you out from the hard work, but you're not leaving Egypt yet. Second phrase, I will save you. When did God save us? So, again, it says, V'etzalti Esrem. May uh, I save you from the work? So, the, there must have still been some work going on. Probably, you know, farming and and uh, taking care of maybe like babysitting or or doing errands. There was other work, just not that major work, farm work, which is why a lot of the plagues ended up destroying all the farms because the Egyptians had to be punished. you. Make me put in all this work for you. Make me make your farms. It will destroy your farms. Okay, fine. So, when did that take place? Um, so that takes place um, by the plague of the firstborn, when all the firstborn are killed. At that point, the Jewish people are now saved. There is no more work there. They will leave Egypt the next morning. And we'll talk about that, I hope, a lot more next week. Um, now you have Alti. I will redeem you. So we're already out of Egypt, right? That was the plague of the firstborn. Egyptians say, Pharaoh says, get out. So when are we... When are we redeemed? If we go out there, I will redeem you. So that takes place after the crossing of the Red Sea. Right? Moses gets the whole Jewish people up to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is behind us, and the sea splits, and the Jewish people go in, and the Egyptians go in, and the Jewish people come out. And the Egyptians are all drowned in the water, and then the water actually spits them up onto the dry land so the Jewish people could see that their masters, all the people that were beating them, were all dead. Why is that important? Because with what we call slave mentality, and we've talked about this a lot, slaves do not have the ability to rebel. It's not in their nature. It's been taken away from them. I'm not saying it never happened, but for the most part, slave revolts were not successful because you fear the master. So the only way to truly be redeemed is to know the master is dead. As long as you feel the master can chase you like they used to do in America, right? The slaves would escape or they put them on the Underground Railroad, and, uh, but they were always looking over their shoulder. Maybe someone's coming to get me because they paid bounty hunters to bring them back and they would go back, right? Because, again, that's part of, unfortunately, what happens to a person when he becomes a slave. So to be fully redeemed, we need this level called of Vigo'alti, where we're redeemed, and the masters are all dead. And after those three, then, Velo'kachti, then God will take the Jewish people as his nation. How does God, God take the Jewish people as his nation? That's when we receive the Torah by Mount Sinai. So that's a, a quick overview of these four phrases. There's a fifth one. We'll try to get to that one soon. Okay. But now I want to back up a little bit because there was an interesting question that I saw. And the answer is beautiful. The, the phrases seem to be out of order. In other words, the last two we get, that seems to be okay. But the first two that I will take you out from the slavery is the first one. And I will save you from the work. I would have switched it, which is why I didn't write the Torah. Right? Now, as I would have said, first you're going to save me from the work. Then you'll take me out from the slavery. Why do you say I'll take you off into slavery? This is the Chadush HaRim question. Why do you say i take you off into slavery first and then say I'll save you from the work? It just seems to be out of order. So, so the idea is like this. The, the story is told. There was a king and uh, he had a son and this son you know, he was a spoiled brat. He grew up in the king's palace Money has no meaning to you. You have whatever you want, served hand and foot. So the king wanted his son to get a feeling of what the world was like. So he throws him out of the palace and he has him hang out with a bunch of beggars. A year later, the king uh, searches for his son who's become a professional beggar, whatever that means. And he's brought before the king and 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 he asks his son, So, do you need anything? So he says, yeah, you know, the bag that I use to hold all my money that I collect, you know, all those pennies and nickels and dimes, it's got holes in it. it it's, money slips out of it. And, and when those two pennies fall out, it kills me. So if you could give me a new solid bag, that would be, like, fantastic. And the king is sitting there, and he's saying, look what happened to my son. He's, he's been out of the palace. He's been in an environment of poor people. And he for completely forgot where he came from. He's lost all his values. All he can think of is, how can I make sure to hold on to a couple dollars? Because that's what happens to people when we're in a hard situation. We forget who and what we are. So first things first, right? The, to, to answer our first question, then we're going to take this story a little bit further. But first things first, got to get out of the situation. God has to say, I am taking you out of Egypt. I got to get you out of this mindset that you're a slave. We got to rip that out of you. We got to get you into the feeling you are a free person. You are an important person. You are a special person. You are a beloved person. We got to get you into being a person. After we get you into being a person, then we'll get into the details. The details have no value I'll save you from the hard work, and I'll redeem you, and I'll take you as my nation. Those have no meaning, no value, till we can get you from being the slave, or in our story, the beggar, to being back the king's prince, which we are, we a king's prince. Till we get that feeling inside of us, everything else has no value. Which, by the way, on a, on a, on a second point of this story is we got to remember this ourselves a lot of times. You know, we, uh, we, we, we get jobs and we're out there working and, and uh, nine to five, you're lucky. I guess some people, they're working at home all day long. I don't know what their hours are and if their hours are, whatever they're doing. You know, sometimes we get so involved in the work that the work becomes who we are. And everything else has no value. If you listen to the last show, which if you didn't listen, go back. We had a great interview with uh, Karen Redlich and I asked her who she was and the first words out of her mouth were I'm a mother and we were talking about some of the things she did. She retired for eight years as a social worker to take care of her kids and she said that was my favorite job. That was the best part of my life because it is because we got to remember who and what we are and what's important. Our family's important. Our spouses are important. Our relationship with God is important. Yes, we need a job. We need a way to earn a living so that we can do all the things we want to do with our family and all the things we want to do with our spouse and have a relationship with God. Of course, we need an income so we can do all these things. But we need to remember the job is just the vehicle to get us there. But that is not who and what we are, and that is not what defines us. I think it's a very important point that we should always, always keep in mind. So besides the fact the story is telling us the order the first things first, God has to say, I'm taking you out of the slavery. Because until you have slavery out of your system, I can't do anything else for you. I can't make you into my people. I can't redeem you. I can't do nothing because you, you have the wrong mindset. So besides that, that's now we've got the straightforward answer to what's the idea of this order. But the story also reminds us, like the king's son, the prince became a beggar. And when he goes home, he forgets who he was. He's just concerned with his day-to-day, like, I got to hold on to my pennies. Instead of saying to his father, his father says, what do you need? What do I need? I need you to take me off the street and let me come back home. That's what I need. Right? You got to know the right answer. So, again, sometimes we get so tunnel-visioned and we forget who and what we are. Don't forget who and what you are. You are a special, important, beloved person. And if you forget that... That when the question is asked, that uh, what do you want? You get into the unimportant, nitty-gritty things of daily life when you got to see a big picture. Okay. Um, let's take it a step further. So the fourth phrase is, I will take you, I will take you as a nation. What does that mean, you're God's nation? What does that mean? What does that mean, you're God's nation? Let me tell you a very fascinating story. There was a great rabbi. Um, he's no longer alive. His name was Rabbi Shach, Rabbi Zaman Shach. He he was the head of a of a humongous institution in Punavish It's a, it's in Bnei Brak in Israel. And he was a he was a a tremendous scholar, brilliant person. And involved in politics, because in Israel, when you become big, you, it, you almost have no choice. Almost impossible. Not fully, but almost impossible not to be involved in politics. Anyways, one day, um, they had a group of Air Force pilots. They were coming to meet this Rav Shach. So they come into his house. And again, he's not going to have a fancy house. These people lived in apartments, a few rooms. They'll have a table. And he, he has them brought into his apartment he has them all sit down, and the serf shach himself is standing. And he's talking to them, and they say, Rabbi, please sit down. No, 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 I, I, I want to stand in your honor. You defend us, you protect us, you deserve recognition for what you do, and thanks for what you do. So I'm going to stand, and he asked who is, the, uh, who is the captain, and he found out who it was, and he shook his hands. And he says, you know, you, you Air Force pilots, you fly— You you see more than anybody. You are flying above. You see the mountains and the rivers and the forests and the cities. You get a much bigger picture of what the world is. And people would even say, when you're flying out there, you're closer to God. So I have a question for you. Um, When you see the world from a different perspective than the rest of us, do you think about God? Who created all this? And he let the question sink in. And unfortunately, the answer for all these people was, no, they didn't know who God was. They didn't think about that at all. So he says, now I have another question for you. If you don't think about it, why not? And again, there's science, I'll tell you why. And he shows them in in, in his little study, that, I mean, his kitchen, I mean, whatever, his dining room, whatever it was, that's where his bookcases were. It's not like he had separate studies and separate rooms and stuff. It was a little apartment. He says, you see these books? All these books are the Talmud, and they explain the Torah, and they explain the laws, and they explain what God wants from us and who God is. And unfortunately, you were cheated out of an education because you can't open any of these books. You won't be able to fathom what they're talking about. You lose out on the beauty of what's inside of them because a terrible disservice was done to you, you were not given the proper education. You don't know where you come from and who you are and how special you are. You don't learn about God in in, in your public schools. You don't learn God's Torah and God's, and the oral law and, and all the medrash and all the beauty behind it. You lost out on that education. You lost out. And that's why when you're flying above and you're closer to God, you don't even recognize that the first thought you should have is, wow, look at this world God made. It's it's terrible. It's a terrible loss. You were cheated. So Shah says to them that I only ask you for one favor. Don't cheat your children. At least, I'm not saying your children should be religious, should not be religious. That's not even what we're discussing. All I'm discussing is don't cheat your children out of the education that they deserve and with that they all left when they were spoken to later um, the captain said, you know uh you know we know who we are, we know where our level of education is, we know how religious we are he says, but it's only because there's people of that rabbi stature that we can look up to such a person right that that at least we have a direction to go in and I was he's like the anchor. He's the anchor of where we should be heading, of what's important, of what we should be thinking about. Yeah, we don't think about it, but such, the fact that such people exist allows us to do our job the way we do our job. Okay, so the fifth okay, so that's the fourth phrase, and then there's a fifth phrase, and I'm running out of time. The fifth phrase is "Vyvese. I' will bring you to the land of Israel." So that is the fifth one. Now we all know there's four cups. There's four sons, there's four questions, but there's a fifth phrase that I will bring you to the land of Israel. So the question is, um, why is there not a fifth cup? So some of you smart ones out there say, we got the cup of Elijah. It's true, it's true you do have the cup of Elijah, but you don't drink it. So it's just hanging out there. So why don't we have a fifth cup? And that's because the rabbis have debated, has this fifth phrase um, been taken care of yet? And the rabbis say, until the Messiah comes and we go back to the land of Israel permanently. I know a lot of people live in Israel now. Probably most, most Jews in the world live in Israel now. But we're still considered in exile. Till the Messiah comes and takes out of exile and rebuilds the temple, we are still in exile no matter what anybody wants to say. So therefore, we have that cup of Elijah and we use that cup to go ahead and say, we're waiting for that fifth cup to be drunk. And... The music is playing, and uh, so we got to wrap it up. So I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank you, under the production team. We got David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.